This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, welcoming you to week number two of the 2020 legislative session. It's a two for Tuesday. A bill to implement more of the recommendations made by the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission is being debated in a Senate committee today. Meanwhile, a couple of lawmakers want to change the law that was passed after the Parkland shootings, so districts that decided not to take part in the School Guardian program can use that money for other security measures. There has been a big decline in the number of Florida college students over the past year. The Sunshine State, in fact, had the second largest decrease in the nation. Today on Sunrise, we'll hear from some of the women trying to hold the line and resist the conservative agenda in the Florida House and Senate. They spend a lot of time talking to lawmakers who really don't seem to be listening all that much. On the Sunrise interview, something completely different. Tallahassee food blogger and Florida politics contributor Rochelle Koff is here to share some suggestions on where a visitor can find a decent meal in the capital city. Sometimes it's as easy as going to the basement. We'll also have your political calendar of events and the latest news from Florida Man, including a pilot with a graffiti problem and a former mayor going to jail for stealing more than half a million dollars from the United Way. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, January 21st. The Senate Education Committee takes up legislation today responding to a grand jury report in December that criticizes the implementation of school safety measures approved after the mass shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School almost two years ago. The grand jury found several gaps in school safety readiness in districts throughout the state. For example, the Guardian program allows some school staffers to be trained to carry guns and protect schools, but the grand jury found that the program was wasting money. Several individuals completed the full training program only to be told they were not eligible to serve due to issues with their psychological or drug exams. The grand jury says that vetting should take place before people are trained, not after. The Senate bill would also beef up training requirements for dealing with mental health issues, increase oversight for school district security plans, increase penalties for school districts that do not comply with school safety measures, and make changes to the state's emergency drill policies. Along those same lines, Representative Tina Polsky of Boca Raton has filed a bill allowing local school districts who have not opted into the Guardian program to request that the leftover funding be used on general school safety spending. The money could be spent on salaries for school resource officers, school hardening, and other safety improvements. A total of 29 Florida counties have not opted into the Guardian program, so $57 million was left on the table last year. This year, there's expected to be $40 million in unused funds because of counties opting out. Senator Janet Cruz of Tampa has filed the companion bill in the Senate. Thousands of Florida students appear to be having second thoughts about higher education. A new report from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center says university and college enrollment was down by 52,000 over the past year in the Sunshine State. That's a drop of 5.3 percent. The national average, just 1.3 percent down. Experts say this is because the economy is improving and there are more jobs available. The report also shows declining enrollments in undergraduate college majors at four-year universities nationally, with the biggest losses in the fields of theology and liberal arts. But there are still 933,000 Florida students enrolled in higher education this year. Hundreds gather on the steps of the old Capitol building in Tallahassee to vent about the way they're being treated by politicians in Tallahassee and D.C. It was on this day back in 2017 that the National Women's March took place. Washington was the primary location, but there were marches across the world to protest the new administration of Donald Trump. It's been described as the largest one-day protest in American history. Laura Brenzel with Planned Parenthood of Florida says everything they feared on that day of the march has turned out to be even worse than they imagined. We stand here today on this fourth anniversary of the Women's March and know that the concerns that brought us together on that day were very, very real. We know because we see immigrants detained in disgusting and dehumanizing conditions. 
We know because we see a rise in racist, xenophobic, and anti-Semitic hate crimes. We know because we see abortion under attack, the right emboldened by Trump's Supreme Court appointment of a political extremist who was accused of sexual assault. We know because we see a rollback of protections for LGBTQ plus individuals, a decrease in access to affordable health care, the weakening of the Affordable Care Act, and multi-million dollar state and federal investments in fake clinics who promote anti-science and anti-abortion values. These policies are meant to demean us, to silence us, and to try to force us to submit. They are meant to increase human suffering at the benefit of an extremist base that is not representative of the American people's needs. They are meant to alienate voters from the system so that they feel like no one is working for them. They exist to rile a hateful base, a base that is grasping onto power when they can clearly see the changes on the horizon. Those concerns are not limited to Washington. Isabella Buono with the Florida Immigrant Coalition says politicians in Tallahassee are parroting the president's anti-immigration rhetoric. While Florida is a state with a vast immigrant population, the governor and the lieutenant governor have been careful enough to divide the population between the good immigrants and the bad ones. The ones that came legally and the ones that according to them break the law. Lieutenant Governor Nunez, the daughter of Cuban immigrants, proudly talks about growing up as an immigrant in Miami, but she fails to mention that the immigration process that is there for Cubans is non-existent for most refugees and asylum seekers from other places. And if that was not enough, we have the chairman of the Republican Party, Senator Joe Gruders, pushing for bills in the Senate that will implement and continue the governor's anti-immigrant agenda. In the last legislative session, we saw the passage of Senate Bill 168. They pushed for this bill claiming to forbid and punish sanctuary cities. That's how they framed it. But what this bill actually does is for local law enforcement to cooperate with immigration federal enforcement utilizing local resources, our money. This session, Senator Gruters and Senator Lee have filed Senate Bill 664. This bill will require the use of the government's E-Verify system to hire in the private sector. The E-Verify system is written with errors and they're trying to force companies to use it to decide whether they hire an individual or not. They're trying to force the private sector to enforce the federal immigration system. LGBTQ rights are also under attack in Tallahassee. Lauren Kelly Manders with Equality Florida says Republican lawmakers in Tallahassee filed four last-minute bills that target gays, lesbians, and transgender persons. Right now, it doesn't feel like the leadership in the Capitol building behind me represents us. Just this week, two lawmakers filed a transgender youth medical care ban. This vicious bill would criminalize a doctor for providing best practice medical care to transgender youth with up to 15 years in prison. This is outrageous. Families should be able to make critical and deeply personal health care decisions in consultation with the child's doctor, free from government intrusion. Politicians shouldn't dictate what kind of care is in the best interest of a patient. When they overreach like that, we have to stand shoulder to shoulder and push back. 
We have to let them know that we won't stand for these kind of attacks. And then there's abortion, the issue that you can always count on to tie up the Florida Capitol like a Gordian knot. For years, Planned Parenthood has been forced to play defense in the legislature, but Laura Brenzel told Florida Politics they are taking this fight to the folks back home during the 2020 campaign. So it's Florida, $2.5 million with our partners um, from Planned Parenthood Votes and us, the Florida Planned Parenthood PAC. So we're working on making investments and making sure that we see major change in the state and federal uh, levels of our government to ensure that we have uh, proponents of reproductive health as well as a wide variety of other issues that impact Floridians. So we want to see reforms in health care. We want to see reforms in immigration. We want to see um, our legislators standing up for the LGBTQ community. So we know that Florida is um, a major part of any election cycle, and we're committed to making a huge investment in the state. You also mentioned that Florida is like one of the last places in the southeast that hasn't been doing bad stuff, but that's yeah. about to happen. Yeah, so what we're concerned about, um, we're seeing legislation being pushed that has the potential to uh, open up our privacy clause in the state, which could be really detrimental because we know that the Supreme Court in Florida is now stacked against um, abortion access. So Florida looks different right now from a Georgia or an Alabama where we're seeing things like the six-week ban pass, where we're seeing um, access shut down so that there's only a couple of providers available, right? We have pretty protected access to safe and legal abortion, which makes Florida a safe place for the entire South, right? We see people traveling from Georgia and Alabama to come here to access abortion. So we're concerned that this attempt to pass this legislation is to try to make us look like the rest of the South, which just puts everybody in danger in this region. Brenzel says their goal is to elect a pro-choice majority in the legislature and stop lawmakers from trying to undermine reproductive rights every time they come to Tallahassee. If you're one of the millions of consumers who had their personal information compromised by a data breach at Equifax, listen up. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody says you only have one more day to file a claim against the company. In July, I announced a historic $600 million settlement with Equifax over its failed security measures and a massive data breach that affected nearly half the U.S. population. The agreement includes a consumer restitution fund of up to $425 million and offers affected consumers up to 10 years of credit monitoring services. You may be eligible for relief, but in order to make a claim, you must file before the fast approaching deadline. Consumers have until Wednesday, January 22nd to file. If you think you might be eligible for compensation, visit EquifaxBreachSettlement.com to file a claim and do it before the end of business tomorrow. Up next, we answer a question that's been vexing Florida's political insiders for years. Where to get a decent meal in the capital city without breaking the bank? This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. The Florida Hospital Association is inviting healthcare leaders from around the state for Hospital Day in the Legislature in Tallahassee on February 3rd and 4th. The summit will include a briefing in the chamber of the Florida House of Representatives, as well as provide meeting opportunities with key legislators. Members may register online at the Florida Hospital Association site at FHA.org. Again, please register at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today, well, before I tell you who she is, let me tell you what this is all about. This is sort of the public service segment of the podcast today. Bottom line is there are a lot of folks here in town, legislative staffers, lobbyists, the whole crew, who are not from Tallahassee, who've come up here from all across the state. And the first thing they find out is it's kind of hard to find a decent plate to grab a quick lunch during the legislative session. So to help you out, we have 
enlisted the services of Rochelle Koff. She is a contributor to FloridaPolitics.com. She's also the author of the Tallahassee Table blog, and she's here to tell us what's new, what's hot, and where's a good place to go when you're looking to put on the feed bag in Tallahassee. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. It's so great to see you. And we met back when you were at the Miami Herald covering the Capitol. So old friends here reunited again. Yeah, it's great. All right. So the the foodies are listening. What do you think? Let's start off with the basic question. Lunch is always a hassle at the Capitol. You're running around, you're flying, you're trying to get things done. You can go to the cafeteria in the basement. And that's under new management now, right? Right. And that's and this is good news because it's uh, Early's Kitchen, which uh, they've been on Monroe for probably about 30 years. And they do a lot of, you know, soul food, southern food. Basic, yeah, basic country kind of food. Yeah. But they're also going to be doing like hamburger and hot dog stations. And they're going to do some quick stuff like that, too. But I imagine that that'll be a step up, I think. Uh, for people, you know, to go to Earl. And you can also, if it's too crowded, you can go to the Earlys on Monroe. I mean, they're not that far. Just down the street, exactly. Okay, now some of the other lunch crowds that are, what are some popular lunch places we can steer folks to? Well, for example, let me mention for the Cuban community out there, Chi-Chi's Cafe on West Tennessee Street. Yeah, Chi-Chi's is great. It's got a very Miami vibe. You know, it's got the display case filled with all the desserts and snacks. And you really do get that feeling that if you're from a town like Miami or probably in Tampa, you'll get a, you know, kind of nostalgic feeling. Yeah, it's a and, very 305 kind of motif inside. Oh, yeah, it is. And it all is. the staff wear the shirts that say Cuban AF. Right. I, which, I asked them if, Which we hey, can't say. I, I, no, I just thought, hey, you were in the Cuban Air Force? That is so cool. It's <laughs> yeah, not I asked what it them means. one and they blushed. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, it's a very cool place. I was just there this morning and I bought a whole bunch of stuff for my family. But uh, they have breakfast and lunch from 7 to 3 every day. And, and if you're I, looking for a sit-down dinner, where's the Cuban place? Um, I like Cabanas, Cabanas Boardwalk, which is on Mayhan Drive. And there's also the Cuban Grill, which is on Capitol Circle. That's been there a long time, too. Both excellent places. And the El Peros is Colombian, mostly, but they, they have a, a, some varied things, and they're kind of a little bit far out, though. They have a kind of a strange menu, though. When, when you can get hot dogs on the menu, I always right. kind of think, what's <laughs> going on here? Yeah, but they're, you know, loaded. Very, Yeah, very traditional Colombian food. Right, yeah. right. That's, I think, on a little bit on farther on far, Tharp, I think. It's in the, so that, and then right across the street from Chi-Chi's is a Filipino restaurant. How is that? restaurant. Yeah. That's good, too. It's called Real Serape. Okay. I'm not sure the pronunciation, but that's also another good homey place. It's got, uh, and then there's Spirit right down the road, which can get um, a little bit crowded. That's not Cuban. That's just a general, you know. American restaurant, but they've got good food. Okay. So classic fast food around the Capitol. What would you recommend? Uh, right around the Capitol. Um, trying to think how far is, I mean, you can go to Midtown and go to Whataburger. A Whataburger is always a good choice. Yeah. Now there's Vertigo on Appalachie, which isn't, which is kind of fast food, but you know, much higher quality. Much higher price. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. But um you know, they've got really good burgers and fries. And if you're looking for the uh, good old-fashioned fried chicken, I would heartily recommend Lindy's. Yeah, that's, that's true. local chain. Yeah. Uh, the, it started off here, I think, in the 60s when the Commodore was in charge. It's yeah. gone through several ownership changes. His son, Ray, is now in charge of the whole thing. And I honestly think it's the best chicken in town. Yeah, I like I like them, too. Of course, you know, everybody's got their favorites, but I think they're good. And then you can go to the Soul Food, Olin's. 
down the street, which has also got great fried chicken. Right across the street from FAMU. Yeah. Generations of FAMU students have been going there. We used to be called Skinner's, just in case you're an oh, old-timer really? like me. Ah, and uh, yeah, it has been there. For, it's got the, the best sort of, I guess, exterior <laughs> that, that you're ever going to see on a place like that. Oh, I know. And now, you can get the Obama breakfast. Yeah, the one, the one that he had when he was here visiting. Right. Exactly. Now, there's also the higher end. I mean, this is a town with a lot of lobbyists with big right. expense accounts who can spend all sorts of money. So what's good if you're looking to blow a huge chunk of money on dinner? Uh, well, one of the newer places in town is Il Luso, which is in the corner of Park and Monroe. Now, you know, is that in Brian Ballard's building? Yes. That's, okay, so that's the new steak restaurant? Yes, Italian steakhouse. And they have lunch and dinner there, and they have a happy hour. And uh, it's quite a nice restaurant. I mean, it's it's very posh, but you don't have, you know, they do have half portions of things if you don't want to <laughs> spend a fortune. They also have a happy hour menu that's pretty good. And their lunch is, is, is really nice. And so um, that's that's quite a nice place. That's where I think a lot of the power brokers go. And then Saver is nice. Now, they don't do lunch, but they have dinner service. And that's the old uh, Avenue Eat and Drink on Park Avenue. Okay. And that's a good place. And um, there's a couple new places downtown. Uh, Rootstock is, is a fun place. What is Rootstock special? It um, used to be Avenue 228 next door. It's right next door to Andrews. The, the complex right, right near the Capitol. Yeah, right. Andrews 228. Right. Used to, and it's uh, and it's it's kind of a cool place. You go downstairs. kind of reminds me a little of like a Mad Men speakeasy type atmosphere. Very retro. And they have small plates, tapas, but they also have entrees and desserts and um, nice bar menu. You know, it's kind of a little bit upscale, but it's... Uh, have a private room there for people who want to have meetings or, you know, gatherings and stuff. So it's it's a cozy little place. I think it's nice. And uh, what else? Oh, and then there's a new bar. Uh, um, it's a new rooftop bar. Uh, it's called Eve on Adams. That's the one on the double tree now? Yeah, it's okay. on the 17th floor. You have to take an elevator to 16th and then take another elevator up to 17th. Yeah, they blocked downtown traffic for about a year and a half oh, to yeah. build that. So I hope they're getting their money's worth. Yeah, out of it. I mean, it's. I just went there the, when they first opened. It's a very dramatic place. I mean, you go in there and there's all these murals of Eve with the apple. And then uh, <laughs> and then when you go outside, I mean, you don't want to have any kind of phobia about heights. But, but when you go outside, it's basically enclosed in... I don't know what it would be like a hard plastic or glass, but it's it's unfettered view of of you know the city. So it's it's beautiful, but it's you know you, you I, I never stand beauty, too yeah. near the end, too near the edge. But um, and then they're just started uh, having food there, so um, I think it's going to be probably more of like a hors d'oeuvre type food. But I don't know that's still kind of evolving over there. But um, that's kind of a fun place to go. I'm sure a lot of people will go after work. Okay. Now, if you had to describe the Tallahassee restaurant scene to someone who hasn't been here before, are, um, are we a food desert? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that we are. I mean, we're, we keep evolving. I mean, of course, we have an, because we're a college town, we have an abundance of tacos, pizza, you know, all, all that kind of thing. But we are starting to get, you know, some more sophisticated places like, you know, like El Luso, Savor, Mimi's, uh, Cypress. You know, we do have some sophisticated places. And then uh, we're getting a lot more ethnic places, which are kind of interesting. You know, we have we have like four or five Indian restaurants, and including, you know, a new one that just opened up in um, an in, in Indian town. And, oh, and Lucilla is a really nice little place. It's not super expensive, but it's it's very cozy. And I think that, you know, people would like that. But that's, that's a dinner place, too. Um, but, you know, so there's a lot of places that are closing. Um, 
which is kind of sad. But then there's, yeah, there the, are new places that are opening right there. I was going to say, you notice we haven't mentioned Chinese. I think that's because my favorite Chinese place closed. The Bamboo House, rest in peace. But you know, that may reopen. Under different management. All the folks who lived there and worked there have gone yeah, home to, yeah. to Taiwan. Yeah. But they were talking about rel you know, some of their relatives opening it there. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We can only hope. Yeah. All right. Our guest today has been Rochelle Koff. She is the blogger, Tallahassee Table, and is a contributor to Florida politics. Bon appetit, Rochelle. Thank you, Rick. You too. <laughs> <laughs> Your calendar of events begins at 9 a.m. when the House Local, Federal, and Veterans Affairs Committee meets to consider a bill by Representative Spencer Roach of North Fort Myers that would block local governments from regulating over-the-counter drugs like sunscreen. At 10, the Senate Agriculture Committee hears a bill by Senator Gail Harrell that would place restrictions on animal cremation services. The Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee meets at 10 to consider a proposal from Senator Debbie Mayfield of Rockledge that would allow shoppers to avoid paying sales taxes on hunting and fishing gear on September 5th. The one-day tax break includes rifles, shotguns, spear guns, crossbows, bows, ammunition, camping tents, fishing rods, reels, bait, and tackle. At 10, the Senate Criminal Justice Committee takes up a bill from Jason Pizzo of North Miami Beach requiring veterinarians to report cases of suspected animal cruelty involving cats and dogs. The Senate Health Policy Committee meets at 10 to debate Senator David Simmons' Tobacco 21 bill. It would revamp regulations for tobacco and electronic cigarette products and increase the minimum age to purchase these products from 18 to 21. The House Criminal Justice Subcommittee meets at 10 to consider a bill by Representative Amy Mercado to increase criminal penalties for indecent exposure. The House Energy and Utility Subcommittee meets at 10 to consider a proposal by Representative Brad Drake to create the Florida Office of Broadband. They would help with the expansion of broadband services in the state, especially in rural areas. The House Agriculture and Natural Resources Subcommittee meets at 1230 to consider a proposal by Representative Cindy Steverson of St. John's creating a statewide office of resiliency to address the impacts of climate change. The House Transportation and Infrastructure Subcommittee will consider a proposal filed by Representative James Grant of Tampa that would make a series of changes related to license plates and create some new specialty tags in Florida. Senator Linda Stewart of Orlando and Representative Joy Goff-Marsill of Maitland will hold a news conference to discuss legislation establishing accountability standards for private schools that take public money. At 2.30, the Senate GovOps Oversight and Accountability Committee will consider a proposal requiring the state university system to adopt regulations about the naming or renaming of facilities. This bill would also remove the name of former Florida Supreme Court Justice B.K. Roberts from building at the FSU Law School. At 3, the House Workforce Development and Tourism Subcommittee takes up a bill by Representative Jason Fisher of Jacksonville that would take power away from cities and counties to regulate vacation rental properties. At 4.30, the Senate Environment and Natural Resources Committee takes up a bill by Senator Janet Cruz requiring bottled water companies to pay for the water drawn from Florida. The Senate Infrastructure and Security Committee will take up a bill by Chairman Tom Lee to repeal the state's longstanding no-fault auto insurance system that forces motorists to buy personal injury protection or PIP coverage. That meeting starts at 4.30. And the final meeting on the list today is the House Select Committee on the Integrity of Research Institutions. They're meeting at 5.30 for an overview of, quote, foreign corruption of U.S. research institutions, unquote. Speaker Jose Oliva created that select committee after the resignation of officials at Moffitt Cancer Center because of issues involving work in China. And last but not least, it's time for an update on Florida Man, the North Florida version. A 53-year-old Florida man who works as a pilot for Endeavor Air is busted for tagging bathrooms, elevators, and cars at the Tallahassee airport with racial slurs and messages supporting Donald Trump. 
Police say James D. Perry was responsible for 20 separate incidents of vandalism and graffiti dating back more than a year. Dees, who is from Perry, told police he tagged the elevators, the men's bathroom, and several vehicles in the parking lot because he's been going through a really rough time and has anger issues. He's charged with nine counts of criminal mischief. And a Florida man who was once the mayor of Milton has been sentenced to 51 years in federal prison. 65-year-old Guy Thompson used to be known as one of North Florida's most distinguished civic and charitable leaders in the panhandle. But an FBI investigation uncovered years of embezzlement and deceit when he ran the United Way of Santa Rosa County. He was accused of stealing more than $650,000 and pleaded guilty to 20 counts of wire fraud and three counts of tax evasion. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. This is Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.